Hey everybody, welcome to another Commission podcast. This is for 2008's Dr. Horrible Singalong blog, a web web release. This will be the first musical podcast we've ever done, but will uh, not be the last. We, um, we have <laughs> we have, you know, constructed several songs for this podcast. We um, have. Yeah. No, podcast I have. Podcast musical. Okay. In, in my bathroom in the shower mostly. <laughs> uh singing about how great NPH and Nathan Fillion are. Mm. Uh yeah. That, while that'll be while at the you're end. sudsing your naked body. I like where yeah. this is going. Yeah, so you you have that to look forward to at the end <laughs> of the podcast. Um, so this was directed by Joss Whedon. It was born during the writer's strike uh, right. as a creative outlet for some of his personal friends. Uh, he recruited all of his family: uh, Joss, yeah. Zach, Jed. Or so Josh is Joss is his, his evil clone. Um, uh, Josh, Josh Whedon, <laughs> the, the evil clone of Joss, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Jed's uh, wife Marissa. Uh, who also plays the third third groupie or maybe the second groupie um, for uh, Captain Hammer? Mm-hmm. Uh, this was commissioned by Tyler Shumway, uh, mm-hmm. all around great guy. Previous commission, previously commissioned uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have him to thank for this, and I'm going to let him introduce this work. There's nothing quite like Doctor Horrible's sing along blog. For the first five minutes or so, you think it's just a funny little YouTube video with Neil Patrick Harris. Then my freeze ray starts, and you realize it's a full-on musical with Felicia Day, that guy from Big Bang Theory, and Nathan Fillion. Like I mentioned in my Buffy commission, Josh Josh Whedon studied musical theater before he went into film, and this seems like the natural evolution from the Buffy musical episode. He learned important lessons from the Buffy musical. Wisely, he decided to bring in his brother Jed, Jed's wife Marissa. To help can, uh, compose the music, he was able to cast people that he knew were good singers. And since this is a web series, he had complete creative freedom. While I personally love the bo- Buffy, the Buffy, the Buffy musical more, I recognize Doctor Horrible is objectively better in pretty much every way. But also, maybe not a fair comparison, since the Buffy musical has over five seasons to develop the characters and build emotional stakes. It's actually pretty impressive. Doctor Horrible is able to pack such an emotional punch in only forty-five minutes. Uh, he also has a litany of things he wants us to talk about, but I thought maybe uh, we would uh, see what we came up with, uh, stream of consciousness style, for a bit. First of all, who is the person from the Big Bang Theory? Uh, Moist. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. All right, I forgot he even existed. Uh-huh. Such a minor part in this, but yes. Uh huh. He. Um, there's also a couple of people that I recognized without, um, or that I recognized in my research, like the Josh. Joss, Jed, and Zach mm-hmm. are the horse, hmm. the ho- okay. horse heralds. I'm going to call them. Yeah, uh, of bad horse. The, um, the horse chorus. Yeah, the horse chorus. I remember the first time seeing this. I thought so. I, I'm, I am predisposed to like musicals. I I don't know why, uh, <laughs> but I've seen a bunch. I've seen a bunch of them, and I like the kind of magical realism that they can they introduce and. The fact that tone and feeling and music is as important as like dialogue or maybe even more important as, as set and construction and costuming and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was really good and also had us a lot of Josh, Joss Whedon-y stuff. Like the sense of humor um, is is very Joss Whedon-y. Uh, the dialogue is very Joss Whedon-y. It stars a lot of Joss Whedon favorites um, such as uh, Nathan Fillion. Uh, but also has some of the problems I've become aware of his work, which is for the major. It seems like he writes most of his characters as middle year teenagers. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's where they're always kind of emotionally and mentally stuck. 
with with exception and then and also they can like evolve on the spot when necessary like when he needs them to have a mature adult scene he just writes them having that shift like it's, it's mm-hmm. almost like all of his characters are aware that they're playing characters through the avengers through buffy and then when things get real they kind of become real people and then that facade is disposed of once you know the the tragedy de, de jour is dispensed with yeah do, do you think that's a fair criticism uh yeah i mean it, it i guess it puts um a different description on what i was generalizing in my head is sort of flimsy characters hmm. um that's not to say they're not great characters right right they're enjoyable to watch certainly yeah, um they're entertaining. but but i think for the most part, they're very shallow. Yeah, and it's like I I wonder what it would be like, and maybe I'm maybe I'm just ignorant of, of enough his work. Maybe gotten this in Dollhouse or Buffy or something. But I would like to see him write what he thinks is an adult relationship between a man or a woman, or a man and man and woman. In fact, because uh, I always see this like weird junior high, early high school um, flailing. Uh, even like like he has like like even my biggest problem with Firefly is Mal Reynolds is emotionally thirteen. Anytime there's a woman that he likes that, that enters the the frame of the camera, mm-hmm. and that can be entertaining, but like it's it it kind of becomes one note. And I found that Doctor Horrible is essentially that same character too. Uh, sure, yeah, I I agree with that. I don't I don't necessarily think he needs to write for everyone though. I think if you know if he has a lane and he wants to stay in it, yeah. That's cool with me. Like it, he just has to expect people to outgrow his work at some point. Hmm. I mean, like I said for for a summer blockbuster type movie, um, not like like I, I I'm not out on that ride. But mm-hmm. I would like to see him. Although you know, I've also seen him. You know, the 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 last thing I saw him do like slumming between projects, he did uh, a, a black and white version of much uh, a bunch of do about nothing that he shot at his house. Hmm. So okay. and that that was awesome, but then again, that Shakespeare. So <laughs> um, it's, those characters are not shallow. Those those characters. <laughs> well, I mean, some of them are. It is a little comical farce, but it's it's uh, it, it does it does have yeah yeah yeah. It, it does have a little bit of gravitas that a lot of his work um, seems to. And I, I think like you know there is a a less than shallow character in this, and I think it's Doctor Horrible. Okay. Um, I think Doctor Horrible is written a little bit deeper than the other two characters. Because I, I, I've seen Doctor Horrible a bunch. I watched it three times. I watched it twice. I watched it once just for the hell of it because I thought it would be fun. And I watched another to take uh, notes. And then my son came to work with me today. And he was wanting to know what I was working because I was listening to the commentary track uh, on my uh, when I picked him up last night on my way to, to work. And he was like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's a commentary track for Doctor Horrible. Um, and short story, uh, long story short, uh, I sat him down and had him watch it in the office while I was, was, was busy finishing up my research and I was, was going to continue to listen to the commentary, but I got wrapped up in watching it again and I was watching him watch <laughs> it and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I f- was thinking during the, the rewatches, how many different ways you can interpret this mm. because there's one. One way to interpret it is Dr. Horrible was barking up the wrong tree the entire time with Penny. Sure. And what he really needed to do to achieve his life's dream was to stop worrying about women and work on himself and achieve his objectives, which he does. Uh-huh. Which he does. He does. He shows the city as, 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 a, as, as heartless, that their hero is uh, just, just a pretty shell. 
um, and that he has the right to rule people as sheep, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one way to interpret it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that he needs to give up on women. I think maybe he just needs to give up on Penny because Penny is not compatible with his life's view. Yeah. Like he is the he is the ever pessimist. She is the ever optimist. Right. Like, yeah, they're approaching the problem that they see in two polarly opposite ways. And I feel like on some level he know like he can't ever be honest with Penny because there's a couple times yeah. where he comes like really close like he he confesses that he idolizes Bad Horse, uh-huh. uh, which every time they say his nickname the Thoroughbred of Sin it cracks me up. Yeah, uh, or he rules the League of, and, the and League of says, Evil with with an iron hoof. When he says I met Gandhi, it just <laughs> yeah. it makes it even funnier. No, but sure, he's like that oh, could be his he, nickname. He, he can't be like even honest about not liking laundry, right? You know, he doesn't yeah. have Anakin Skywalker level of honesty with women, where you know he can <laughs> he can openly bitch about sand and killing uh-huh. jawas and sand people. Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess that's what I'm. I, I shouldn't say give up on women, um, but certainly it's just that that's the high school thing, right? You see a woman. You are hot for her, and then she's suddenly the girl of your dreams. You don't know anything about her. She knows nothing about you, but you've Mm -hmm. got this entire one-sided relationship you've carried on in her head. It's kind of like a cautionary friend zone story. Like, like don't do that. Don't put yourself there. And and the idea that you should change yourself to impress or please this person, Mm -hmm. um, when in fact that person is probably just not right for you. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. I mean, that's what Dr. Horrible is doing. I will say the third time I rewatched, I kind of caught Felicia Day's character, Penny, doing a little bit of that with um, Billy. Because I feel like that maybe there was a little bit of chemistry there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she was, like, softening some of her answers or some of her responses to her to try to appeal to him. And I wonder I wonder if there is a – because there's always been talk about the sequel, right? And an interesting sequel would be like Penny's sing along blog to see that she's like struggling with thoughts of like this, this, you know, helping people out is just a face she puts on the world and she secretly thinks it's not, it's, it's terrible and, and it's, it's bad and it needs to be ruled with an iron hoof or something like that. Like, yeah, what would you even call that? It's not, it's not a prequel, it's not a sequel. It would be happening like simultaneously, right? Because she's, she's dead, sequel? right? Is there... I, I assume she's dead. Is she dead? She's dead. Well, I mean, I, that's why I was in my my mind. I was thinking, like, what if that you build up to the climax, and then somehow she gets res, like she's she's not actually dead, or she gets resurrected by some other supervillain. Or... Okay, yeah. Um, the power of love. Turned... Hammer comes in and busts into the hospital. There you and go. But it her. turns out she's e- she's she's fully evil. Okay. Um, I thought that would be an interesting way to go because I kept mm-hmm. on seeing that where maybe there was a – and it could be just that I, that I watched it a bunch of times over the course of several days and I was trying to figure out new new angles for it. But I kind of thought that in between the lines maybe she was a bit – because there, she's got this – well, because the other way to interpret it is um, they've had very similar stories that they're kind of losers in life and they're outcasts and they're lonely and they're sad and she turns to – humanitarian and uh mm-hmm. you know goals and positivism and throws herself into the the, the the pitying the city where he decides that he wants to royally rule some sort of anarchy situation he wants to disrupt the status quo i guess yeah. <laughs> like yeah. which yeah i feel like they both have this idea that something is wrong and needs to be changed and they just approach it from different angles yeah um, and there it's kind of a, a similar goal with different different means and there's also like um like the fact that dr horrible is aware on some level that he's kind of campy mm-hmm. like 
you know, when his when his um, fake arch nemesis suggests meeting in a park and throwing down, he's like, you know, it's like he gives a list of reasons why he doesn't really want to fight with him, and he's like, plus there's kids in that park. Uh-huh. And then when Doctor when when Eve, when Bad Horse that's the thing he's not even Evil Horse he's just Bad Horse um, when his he finally, finally gets his message saying look if you want to get in the League of Evil you're going to have to kill somebody mm-hmm. like Doctor Horrible really struggles with that because it's not, there's nothing like elegant or interesting about that yeah he's like a classic uh, he's like a like a like a Batman villain I guess that has to have a you know some style to it mm-hmm. where Bad Horse is just a, he's a terrorist sure. Yeah, I, I mean that was one of the defining features of him. You know, he doesn't doesn't want to kill anybody, mm-hmm. and then he's kind of forced to do. You know, a man's got to do what a man's got to do, so he decides he's got to kill um, to get into this evil league of evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, he's prepared to kill Hammer, I guess, at that point. Yeah. Well, plus I think that's the the brand new day song is yeah. the fact that like okay if i have to kill somebody i think i can easily do this guy cuz he's such a <laughs> douchebag and... he probably deserves it honestly like yeah, he's I mean, a hero but he's such an asshole he's not even really a hero like he's just a big strong guy right. who who does I... things that happen to align with what people might think of a hero yeah like he almost kills a whole bunch of civilians in the beginning yep. and you know uh he Clearly, is not also in it for the right reasons. Of course, yeah. Like he's betting Penny for his <laughs> his his own amusement to mm-hmm. fuck with Doctor Horrible more than he's attracted to her, for sure. And yeah. like I also thought it was interesting how she's kind of conflicted. How that uh, she thought, you know, when she first met Doctor Mister, sorry, Captain. Yeah. I want to just no disrespect, not Mister, not Doc. Uh, uh, when he met Captain Hammer, she thought he was like shallow and kind of cheesy. And then he now kind of puts a charm on her and helps her with the mm-hmm. homeless shelter. And then she thinks he's kind of awesome. But then you could tell in the third act that she's kind of like, re- like maybe, maybe he is actually what I thought he was in the beginning. Yeah. And Billy is is my my true friend. But yeah, I can't help but think that this doesn't really kick into gear until Hammer shows up. Like I, I know Nathan Fillion is awesome. Like I like him in Firefly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's real unfortunate they kind of got stuck in a castle hole. Though he all he does a whole bunch of stuff, but it's mostly like one-off TV things and video mm-hmm. game voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, I think he has by a lot far more the best potential. thing of Destiny. It, okay, <laughs> sure. Does he do Ghost? Is that no? He does Cade Six, the the, Cade Six? the hunter, okay. whatever vanguard leader. Ah. Um, which that's that's a video game loaded with with voice talent. You got uh, Lieutenant. Uh, uh, what was it's his name? Um, from The Wire. Oh my God! Did Lieutenant Daniels? You got Zoe from uh, Firefly. Hmm. Um, you, you got had Peter Dinklage. Not you anymore. had Peter Dinklage. They got they got rid of him because he was too expensive to bring back. Uh, yeah. But you got a, like a lot of really top tier talent. Um, but I mean, it really it kicks up a notch when Nathan Fillion shows up. I yes. feel like the acting. You know, NPH is great in the blog style stuff, but uh-huh. I feel like when they're acting on screen together, it's dynamite. Huh? It's just like really, really intricate comedy. Yeah. Like especially when they do these like multiple, multiple uh, lyric lines for this single song. Yeah. And they're all kind of singing over uh-huh. each other and about what the other people are singing about, and it's 
That's why I don't I, know. It's really genius. That's my favorite part of musicals. But there's also I meant to. I was want to have you sit you sit you down and watch this Key and Peele skit called One at a Time. Oh boy, which is essentially <laughs> uh-huh. like because like it gets really crazy in some stuff like uh, Les Misérables, mm-hmm. where like there's four different threads of people singing the yeah. like the, to to take out an, an act or introduce an act, and I f- I can't remember if it's Key or Peele. That's in the middle of it, and they're just the the chorus is like one at a time because it's like there's two people singing, it's a guy and a girl, and then like the villain comes in, and starts singing, he's like, "What the hell are you doing yeah. in here?" And then the captain, the guard comes in, he's like, "Oh my god!" And then <laughs> then the fucking chorus joins in, he's like, "I can't even understand what the hell anyone's saying anymore." Yep. But um, that's part of the musical. Like you're not supposed to get it all in the first experience, right? You're supposed to get the feelings and then analyze the lyrics and get you know get get it, get let them get the earworms in your head and. Yeah. And, and and figure out all the subtleties later. And I like that this is so short because yeah. it gives you opportunity to do that. I've seen this probably three or four times now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you on the second and third viewings, you start to get more of what they're saying and, mm-hmm. and what it means. Yeah, no. Uh, I remember clearly when Nathan, because I didn't know anything about this. Um, yeah, I guess uh, well, I know one of the things Shum wanted to us to talk about is our history with it. Yeah. And my history was uh, I had an ex-girlfriend show up with the DV, the Blu-ray. Maybe it was a DVD, and she was a big Buffy fan, and she had previously made me watch the first season of Buffy, and that was okay. Um, yeah. I don't want to piss off Shum too much, but, you know, like, I, I don't have the history of Buffy that he does. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, you know, shows up with the Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. I'm like, okay, well, I like Neil Patrick Harris. I don't really like Felicia Day, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Nathan Fillion jumps on the van. I'm yeah. like, oh, get the fuck out of here. This is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and that scene where they're battling and he's yeah. you know, slamming his head while smiling <laughs> yeah. so smarmily the girl, yeah. at, at Felicia Day and he's slamming his head on the, the hood. I I don't know. The the way like all three of them interact, I don't like Felicia Day like at all. Um I've only seen her in a few things. The guild like tops my list of holy shit, I don't like this. Well here's the thing, like uh, I don't even know that I don't like her so much as I really hated the guild. Yeah, same here. Okay, that's fair. Um, and, and but that's in that's, this, I think she's good. That yeah, I mean, and I feel like a single project can really leave a bad taste in your mouth yeah. with somebody. It's like if I watched uh, Jack Gleason, the the kid that played Joffrey, mm-hmm. um, in some in like a romantic comedy, I would like you'd spend the first act or two just hating him on sight. Yeah, and it's even funny because like when I, he's in bat the first Batman. He's the the gutter rat kid in the bad part of Gotham that Rachel goes and saves when they're gassing everything. Wow! And okay. I'm like, I'm like, just let him get trampled. Yeah. This, this goes nowhere <laughs> yeah. good, Rachel. Turn let 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 the let the uh, insane criminals get him. Um, but yeah, yeah she's, like she's not given a ton of good material in this, though. I feel like she's like the least written of all the characters. Well, I mean, I think that's probably deliberate because she's just she's a she she's is, a MacGuffin basically. Yeah, like, she's she is uh, Doctor Horrible's totem of lust. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's unfortunate because uh, I I do think she's good despite the flimsy or or thin writing for her character. Oh yeah, and she's got a better than I expected voice. Yeah. And yeah. also, I feel like that her and Neil Patrick Harris have a lot of chemistry. Like, there's mm-hmm. a couple fantasy sequences where they're allowed to just, like, dance together and be cute together. And they're, yeah. like, really super cute together. I don't know that Neil Patrick Harris would have no chemistry with anybody. He is very charismatic and charming. Yeah, I think he can just turn he, it on. And in fact, wants. that's one of the other criticisms I have is that it's somewhat unbelievable that he's a social loser. Like, he can he can affect <laughs> right. all the ticks he wants and, like, yeah. be his mumble mouth. And, but he's just still, he's, like, he's just really, 
he's really talented and and expressive and an interesting guy it's funny that you mentioned the ticks because i i kept noticing the stuff he's doing with his eyes like uh-huh. nobody does better work with their eyelids than nph right he's doing all sorts of crazy stuff and i i couldn't tell and how the goggles push his forehead down to give him like a, a wrinkly klingon head <laughs> right that was like it gives him a, a more brutish look when I, when he's got those on yeah i I think about his career and like you know he was Doogie Howser way back in the day in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, then he kind of went off the map for a long time and was doing like one-off TV things, mm-hmm. um, like in stupid shows like Murder She Wrote or whatever. <laughs> like, right. He also had like I guess unbeknownst to a lot of people, he had a fairly successful Broadway career. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's won a Tony Award. Like, um, like uh, culminating in uh, wasn't he in the uh, Hedwig? Yeah. Like yeah, a couple that's years what back. he won the Tony for. Okay, gotcha. Because yeah. he had worked his way up to that, and his big, I guess his big break. What it I was mean, Harold did, and Kumar went go to White Castle? But was that his big break, or was that just like, oh my God, Doogie Howser is a kind of like sociopathic stoner? Well, that's when he when he went William Shatner, honestly, mm. like when he satirized his own persona, right? Um, right. Which I think was like a super smart thing for him to do, and now he's come back just as like the super smooth guy right yeah like he he got cast barney, barney Stinson, yeah. in um how i met your mother and then that's like he's been permanently famous since then right right the, was dr horrible oh, he was also in starship troopers he uh, was was yep. dr horrible was dr horrible pre how i met your mother or was it in the middle of how i met your mother uh, how i met your mother i don't know i know harold kumar go to white castle was like four years oh, before yeah. this I just looked it up, and yeah, he was he was on uh, he was on How I Met Your Mother in the Glory Days, uh, like mm-hmm. it, it debuted in two thousand five. So two two three years under his belt there before Doctor Horrible came along. Yeah, the, I mean, both of these guys, um, Nathan Fillion and Neil Patrick Harris, kind of got stuck in like uh, How I Met Your Mother is not bad. It, it's a pretty good show. It did um, run out of steam, like most network shows do. Yeah, but... and it never really caught fire with me personally. No. Um, I did like the er, very early. I, I was a pretty big fan the first couple of years, yeah. and then it was easy for me to just stop watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it had a very like Friends vibe to it. Honestly. Yeah, it's just yeah. that over again, which yeah. didn't interest me very much. But I mean, he's good in it. Um, it was a super popular show, but I haven't. I hate when actors that I like get stuck in multi-year contracts for things that I don't care about. <laughs> right. You know, like well, Nathan Fillion and and NPH have both done that. But like I feel like if you would have asked me 10 years ago mm-hmm. who would have had the bigger career been more famous, more marketable, I would have said, "Oh, no, you know, Neil or uh uh Nathan Fillion." Yeah. Nathan Fillion's like one action movie or yeah. science fiction movie away from being a breakout star cuz he's like he could he could po- he could possibly be the next Harrison Ford. Yeah, totally. Um, and he just never has. And I don't know yeah. that that's entire. Like I honestly don't. I don't know what the hell to make of it. Um, I don't know because if mean, you'd have told me that Neil Patrick Harris is more famous than Nathan Fillion ten years from Doctor Horrible, I'd been like, no fucking way. I wonder if it's just these guys have one gear. Could be because uh, I mean I've never seen Nathan Fillion in anything where he's not Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Same for NPH, really. Yeah. I mean... So maybe they just can't... They don't have the, the range that they need to be, like, big action heroes or whatever. Yeah. But, I I mean, you look at what... How much Chris, range do you need to be a big action right, hero? Right. Like, look J- what, like, like what's Jason face Statham? Guardians of the Galaxy, what he's doing. Chris, like, yeah. he's just him. Yeah. It's it's not like he's right. stretching at all, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathan Fillion totally could have been that guy. Right. 
like Chris. I mean, I don't know. Chris Pine's got a couple extra dimensions to him. Yeah, but I don't. I, and that's the other thing. Is like, have I not seen uh, Nathan Fillion have more range because everyone wants him to be right. Nathan Fillion, or is he just got that one range? Like, I yeah. I guess I would suspect that he probably has more range. It's just like if you got if you cast Nathan Fillion. Why the hell would you want him to do anything but be Nathan Fillion in that role? Yeah. Like, you know, they need, like, uh, you know, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson to cast right. him in, in some kind of crazy-ass Adam Sandler thing, like Punch <laughs> Drunk Love, and then we can see what he's really capable of. And I know NPH has another gear, obviously, if you sure. won a Tony Award for uh, playing a transgender rock and roll star. Like, right. He's got another gear. So. But that's 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 kind of of a piece, though, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. like a really broad, campy kind of performance. So, um, hmm. yeah, I don't I know. Haven't, I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about the okay. the musical itself. But yeah, uh, I know he won a Tony for it. And I don't know. I assume he has another gear. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, he's, like I said, the guy's super talented. I just don't, yeah. I don't know why, you know, it's, I guess he's the biggest of the, the, the stars in the show. Um, you know, accepting maybe the Weeding Weeden brothers, but they don't get in front of the camera very often. And that's just surprising to me. The fact that they're not all collectively more famous, um, and that Neil Patrick Harris is the more uh, famous of the, the, the two. I guess this did kind of, you know, uh, Felicia Day was on her way to becoming cemented in like nerd culture mm-hmm. as an icon. But I think this put Nathan Fillion and NPH more on the map than they were before. But more than Firefly? Uh, I think so. I mean, maybe Neil, Neil, maybe Neil Patrick Harris, although certainly him. Doogie yeah. Hauser. Like I remember growing up, like I was kind of right. I, I idolized Doogie Hauser. Like I was a big child fan. genius doctor. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Wasn't <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's plenty I, to idolize there. Yeah. Uh huh. I'm. I'm. I've always been a bit of a handful. But um. Uh. I feel like Nathan Fillion, like Firefly, the brown coat legions like he was already so- solidly cemented in that geek culture and he just keeps he was, ma- i yeah. mean maybe he just likes that maybe that's the gear he likes to operate in because if you look at his choices and getting into the video or though maybe that's the stuff they offer him i don't know yeah who knows um but felicia day so like um i again i really really have an intense visceral dislike of the guild and um that kind of lifestyle that mm-hmm. it both pokes fun of and also excuses yeah um but i have you seen any of the new mystery science theater 3000s no because she's not a bad evil forester type type in that like her and Patton oswell mm-hmm. i think they're um well i mean they're actually professional actors and all the other foresters have been just like essentially staff writers on mystery science theater to put on a lab coat right so i guess Patton oswell and her being funnier than those people should not surprise me mm-hmm. But she's actually pretty good. I I, I like her uh, quite a bit in the new Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know she has talent. Um, I just get stuck, get hung up on the guild. Yeah. And she does have she does have an odd kind of squirrely little chemistry. Nathan Fillion mm-hmm. calls her a monkey face in uh, the commentary. <laughs> and he's not wrong. I'd go with more of a rabbit face. Yeah, yeah, uh, she, uh, rabbit monkey combo. Yeah, like like, like goat boy and Saturday Night Live. She's, she's mm-hmm. rabbit girl. Okay. I could see that. What is your favorite song in this one? Brand new day. Brand new day, huh? Yeah. I like the like the, the the chunky guitar riffs. I like um Yeah. I I also like I think that's a song where there's like a montage of 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 uh, Captain Hammer giving Doctor Horrible a four season beatdown. Uh-huh. 
like starts off in spring and keeps on going through summer and then sure enough there's Santa Claus ringing the bell and and collecting the red pot full of money and he's helicoptering him right. that's that's I, I I like that I like that a lot I, I think mine's probably a man's got to do yeah. just because of the intricacy of it and, and it's the introduction of uh, the, yeah. hammer yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. I will say that even though it's a super low budget, this was all filmed for under two hundred thousand um, dollars. There was a lot of really kind of cool framing devices. My favorite one is when they're in the laundromat and he's talking about the stop time, mm-hmm. uh, where everyone like opens those circular doors and it kind of frames him in like a scoping device. I'm like, that's yeah. pretty fucking clever. Yeah, I mean, you show uh, up at a lot la- like an actual laundromat, close it down for the day, and then it's like, what can I do here? And like, that's that's he's got a, the Josh Sweden among other things has a really good eye for that stuff. He does absolutely, and we've talked a lot about that when we did the Firefly podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of his framing of stuff is really really good mm-hmm. and interesting. Like, yeah, and and, and and there's not a lot of people. Well, I mean, I think it's getting it's something that we're taking for granted because. 10, 15 years into the golden age of television, like, you know, this is stuff very self-referential, but it, I guess it's something I try not to take for granted, the fact that stuff like Breaking Bad and interesting camera angles and interesting ways of looking at things and interesting elevations and shots and approaches and how it makes you feel things and introduces the space and frames people, and I, I try not to take that for granted, and Dr. Horrible is, like, chock full of it in 45 minutes. Yeah, if I were a better critic, I would talk about shot composition and Joss Whedon's way of doing it, but I'm not, right. so I won't. Right. Um, the other thing is, like, I like about repri- the brand new days. I like the reprise at the end where he dons his ultimate red evil outfit and he walks in the Bad Horses Inner Council. Um, yeah, I just like that song a lot. It's the it's the most cr- it's it the, it's the most cranked up version of or of, of, of all the songs. Yeah. Um, although I think the sing my single favorite moment, and I don't even I don't even fully understand. I want to ask you what it means, but when when <laughs> Captain Hammer recovers from the freeze ray and punches Doctor Horrible in the face, and he gets up and he goes, "Wah!" and he gives him the finger. Uh-huh. What does that? What? What? I was he? Was he I think fin- he's mad about being frozen. <laughs> I, right. I really don't know. The, the whole the whole why? Like I don't. Is that under- the final note of the song he was singing? That's, yeah, that you know what? what you, might, you actually might be right that he got frozen in mid sentence and he just comes out of it like to die. Yeah. It's like the. I'm not sure. Okay, because that's like I don't know because I don't know why I like it. I can't articulate it. <laughs> but Nathan uh, Fillion punching some dude, going right into this big number acapella style and flipping the guys off with his big rubber gloves. Yeah, super funny. Captain Hammer is the worst though i yeah. think of all the people here he's right up there with dr horrible as far as being just a shit to everybody because he he clearly he has just as much he's more casual about his hate mm-hmm. but he has just as much much disdain for people i mean oh yeah that song about everybody's a hero right is ridiculous yeah uh the way he's talking to the homeless. I love when he goes, I hate the homeless. And he flips over his card, less problem or right. in, in this in this city. Like, yeah, he's yep. he's terrible. He's bad. He's like, uh, he reminds me a lot of Archer. Uh-huh. You know, where like yep. he's like very good at what he does, but he's all in it for the wrong reasons. And oh, he's yeah. completely shallow and superficial and hates everybody around him, doesn't respect anyone. I think one of my favorite lines in the whole thing is, when he's he's doing his song and he says something about it's not enough to bash in heads, you also have to bash, bash in, in minds. minds yeah. <laughs> and then he's talking about bashing in the slums. And, uh-huh. I don't know. It's really hilarious. Yeah. 
Um, what else we want to talk about? Because there's you want to get into because some of the stuff I think that we're naturally going to start talking about is stuff that uh, Shum wanted to ask us anyway. Uh-huh. So let us get into that. Uh, he wanted to know our history of Doctor Horrible. Oh, um, did you see Doctor Horrible before me, or did I think I saw it about the time it came out, or okay. maybe when it came out? Okay, so yeah, it was real. You early. saw it before me, huh? Okay. Because I, I think when I saw it, we were there's one of those phases we were living together, and I kind of see you in the room, but I that that could just be me mixing up hundreds of different memories <laughs> at that uh, time. Yeah, but yeah, I had I was introduced to an ex girlfriend who was a huge Joss Whedon fan, mm-hmm. and that was kind of like Doctor Horrible. Like he was known for like what Buffy, Dollhouse, and Firefly, but yep. he hadn't gotten like a really big gig. He hadn't directed the Avengers or anything no, like that. He no. hadn't been attached to any high-profile projects like that. So, mm-hmm. um, funniest moment, best joke. There's funniest We, we, we moment, talked about joke. we talked about this a lot. Um, there's a ton. Like, I really like the, jo- the do- joke about uh, double dating. Yep. With moist, uh, with, with bait, with moist uh, bait and switch. It's like, yeah, I, th- I thought I was going to end up with bait, but, you know, uh, all the different jokes about bad horse. And the fact that I think bad horse is just a really good joke. Mm-hmm. Because that's just like a terrible, terrible name, but he rules the League of Evil with the Iron Hoof, and then you meet him at the end, and he's just—he's just a horse. He's just a bad horse. Yep. Um, I liked Neil Patrick Patrick Harris wearing a mustache in the back when mm-hmm. he's pouring doing the, the worst. He's yeah, he's doing the worst job pouring soup into the homeless people's bowls. Um. Yep. I like the, the you know the why moment is really really funny the the hammers my penis uh, is classic and in fact I wouldn't be surprised if that was an improv an ad lib <laughs> maybe so um, I, I'm not sure though because in the commentary stuff there's a line from Zach about how Joss took out a bunch of his jokes mm-hmm. and one of them is where Penny says Penny is my pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought is a pretty good joke to uh-huh, mirror uh-huh. Hammer's penis joke. Right. But, right. yeah. So maybe that was written. Okay. It could be. It could be. I like Neil Patrick Harris's Grinch face that he puts on during the Brand New Day mm-hmm. song. Um, when when he comes back in at the beginning of Act 2 and he says, well, Captain Hammer and the cops were waiting for me and he threw a car at me. <laughs> yeah. Apparently they watch my blog. Right. Yeah. That's, really, that's pretty good. Uh-huh. Um, the... How tone deaf the anchors are in this city, the news oh, anchors, boy. where they're like, oh, it's a good day to be homeless. It certainly is. Like, right. oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And the fact that, like, that kind of, like, I started thinking about, like, is this, like, a Gotham-style city that doesn't deserve to be saved? Like, uh, <laughs> may, like if, if may, may, maybe Dr. Horrible has a point. Could be. Because Could be. these people have died. Because that's the thing is, like. Captain Hammer does not bury his disdain and how kind of terrible as a human being he is very deep. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's capable of that. And yet the people still eating up. It's like there was when he was doing his everyone's a hero, there wasn't a dawning realization that they've thrown their weight behind a jackass. They right. everyone was still like, "Oh my god, yeah, this guy's the best." And it wasn't until <laughs> Dr. Horrible killed him or I guess bested him in combat and killed his girlfriend that yeah. the city started to embrace him as the new you know, celeb de jour. Yeah, so, I mean, he so, so he sidelined Captain Hammer, right? Yeah, like, Captain Hammer trades in good looks and charm. Mm-hmm. That is why people and the fact follow and like. He's Captain super Hammer. strong and invulnerable. Yeah, I mean that helps, but mostly <laughs> it's about the good looks and charm, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. 
and, and then, you know, he's sidelined after the freeze ray thing and Penny's dead. Now he's in therapy. I thought that was pretty funny. Like, he feels pain for the first time, runs off, goes and gets counseling. Like, yeah, this, this is like his out there. literally first bad experience he's ever had. Yeah, yeah, totally. Also, that's like a bit of a. The fact that Penny's the first woman he slept with more than once, uh-huh. like, tells, says, says oh, a lot about him. Hilarious jokes in there. Like, um,. When he's saying, yeah, so they say it's better the second time. You get to do the weird, the weird stuff. stuff. And, then the and then the groupies pop out and say, we, we do the, we weird, do the stuff. weird stuff. I, there's a lot of really funny jokes with the groupies, too. Like, my my f- personal favorite is they're like how into Captain Hammer they are. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about Penny and they say, oh, she says that she helps with the homeless and she doesn't eat meat. And, and then they're like, we have a problem with her. Like, the fact <laughs> that they hate his girlfriend. That's very, yep. very groupie uh, fan thing to do. Yeah, uh, that I mean, might be they're... all of the jokes actually in the show. Um, nah, I think there are a lot. A we lot are talking more. about favorite song. What you say yours one is? A man's got to do. A man's got to do. Yep. Mine's the brand new day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's do something... you have a least favorite because I felt slipping. I've slipping always kind of like I appreciate what they're doing there, but like there's something about the cadence and everything that I don't don't like. Hmm. Yeah, I'd have to look at the songs. Let's see. Um, I really like my freeze ray. That one's good. Penny songs, not, I don't, I don't like either. But I, I, I hes- hesitate to throw that in there because I just have a visceral uh, of, of uh, Felicia Day. Um, I think so. They say is pretty bad. Like when they get the the movers, yeah, singing, those, yeah, yeah, those people right. can't sing. Who, right. do, who do you think is the best singer out of the group? Oh, Neil Patrick Harris. Okay, good. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. like, like he's got like he kind of demonstrates his impressive range in the commentary more than anything. Where he's he does, like yeah. he gets his own song and he says as low as he wants and as high as he wants. And yeah, yeah I mean he's he's got to be the best singer. I would say he's probably the most trained as well. Well, right, right. It would be a guess. shock if he wasn't. Yeah. Um, but I think Felicia Day is. It, no, no one's bad. No, like they're like Sarah Michelle Geller was a little cover your eyes bad in the Buffy stuff <laughs> a bit, yeah. Um, and, but, but I think Felicia Day is second best, and I think Nathan Fillion is not too far behind, but definitely he's not bad. Third. But I don't think he gets out of an octave range. Yeah, yeah. So they're if if he's bad, they're playing to his strengths. You know who smart. I think is the best? Who is uh, the Asian groupie? And we'll talk more about this in a bit. But okay. Uh, she's actually really good. That's uh, Jed's wife. Yeah, and she's also the co-writer of the right. thing. And and she can really belt it out. Um, let's... which which you hear in the commentary. I don't know when we want to get to that, but uh, Sean says his favorite is probably "My Eyes," which is the duet between Billy and Penny during their date with Captain Hammer in Act Two. Yeah, it's a pretty good one too. Um, he's got some fun facts. Uh, the news anchors in Act Three are played by Marty Noxon and Dave. Fury, who were both writers for Buffy and appeared in a musical episode as Parking Ticket Lady and Mustard Stain Guy, which I remember from the podcast. Huh. If you look closely, you can spot Sarah Michelle Geller wearing a dark wig and sunglasses sitting next to the groupie during Everyone's a Hero. The Evil League of Evil consists of Professor Normal, Fake Thomas Jefferson, Tie-Dye, Dead Bowie, Furry, Laika, Snakebite, and Bad Horse. Now, um, I don't know who... like. Fake Thomas Jefferson, I know mm-hmm. who that is. Dead Bowie, definitely know who that is. The other and Bad Horse, obviously, I know who that is. I guess Snakebite mm-hmm. is the guy who's got the like some kind of metal apparatus on his jaw. Uh-huh. But Furry Laika and Tie Dye and Professor Normal, I I can't even picture Professor Normal. He's yeah. probably a lot like Giamatti Man. You know, he's so average you don't even notice him. <laughs> right, right. Uh, then you want us to talk about the commentary, which I didn't even know this existed until. 
Yeah. Uh, he sent sent it in. Um, so I had to look it up. There's a playlist on YouTube that, that had them all. And because I couldn't find, I don't know if she gave me that Blu-ray or we. She's brought it over to my house to watch it because I kind of was hunting it up because I hear that that's an extra feature on it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, but uh, he says his his favorites are Ninja Ropes, Nobody's Asian in the movies, and Heartbroken. Um, I thought this was a really good idea for commentary too. The fact that it's also a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, they had a lot of time on their hands during the writer strike. <laughs> no kidding. Um. Yeah, I think my favorite song off of that is definitely Heartbroken. That's that's a really good song, and I, I like the topic, um, how, you know, essentially Joss Whedon is almost, like, lamenting the fandom that he's built around his works, in a way. Right. Like, he has to go and do all these interviews and explain every single detail of it to people who want to know the answers to these questions. And it's awesome, but it probably also sucks, right, as an artist? Well, but he doesn't have to. No, but that's what he's kind of cultivated, you know? I guess that's true. Like, that's kind of the fandom he dipped his toes into, and when yeah. he did that, he sort of sealed his own fate in a way. Right, right. And I yeah. don't know how much of that I'm putting on it or how much of that he's putting in it, but... Yeah, and also it's like some of those things that you, like, maybe they don't scale well. Hmm. Um, like, when you have a very small cult following, the, you know, obsessive details and people finding all the Easter eggs and you being able to like, you know, interact with people. But then when you're starting to do stuff that's bigger and higher profile and people are really obsessing over in a much wider swath of humanity and it just becomes too much. Yeah. They pick, pick, pick it apart. But then it's like, we're like, if you show up at comic con, it's like, look, I'm just gonna let my art stand on its own. Then people are like, Oh, Joss Whedon, he's too big. You know, I, I I guess I feel him on that. And I know, I know there's like, I, or I seem to recall something around that time where, you know, he's been at Comic-Con and mm-hmm. he started to get a little fed up with this whole thing. But I don't remember it well enough to, to talk about it intelligently. Yeah, and I also don't know, because, like, I remember the very first time I heard about, it, like, a backlash around Comic-Con was around, like, the Twilight stuff. Twilight? Yeah, like, the, the, like the Twilight like fans Twilight are coming ruining in? Ta- Twilight because they would do things like um, two or three panels before a Twilight panel, right. take up seats. Yeah. And they had to, like, change things. Like, now every time the people got out, uh, like, every time a theater is dismissed, they had to clear the whole theater out because they didn't want... Because like, that, that must be a real bummer if you're a creator and you want to connect your fans and eight... Yeah. 80% of it's Twilight people waiting to see, mm-hmm. like, the werewolf boy right. come up and say something for five minutes, you know? <laughs> like, that's got to really be a shitty... But I also, was like, some of that might just be that they're inclined to hate the Twilight fans because they just don't belong there. Mm, and yeah. I feel like that's, that's kind of, like... This is that... Or ten years ago is around the time where Comic-Con stopped being, like, a really geeky, nerdy thing yeah. and started being taken over by corporations and... Yeah, it's mainstream. Yeah, it's just, like, it become, like, a weird clearinghouse for all movies and television shows and whether they have a geek angle or not. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I you know, it's it's podcasts like this that make me wish I was more of an expert on like you know, the the inside kind of stuff in Hollywood because I know like I said that there was some kind of thing around Joss Whedon and Comic-Con, but I don't remember mm-hmm. what it was and mm-hmm. there are people out there who know exactly what it was. <laughs> I guess I was surprised with the commentary to find out how kind of morose, I guess, they're... Per- and, and I get it. I don't know why I want to say that that's a little bit more accurate than the other portrayals, because obviously 
Nathan Fillion, I don't believe, is a, a, a giant, unself-aware asshole as he is in the commentary. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, every, all these guys are self-obsessed. So, like, they're probably playing that up. But I would guess I was uh-huh. shocked to the extent that uh, Joss seems like he's a bit of a, like, a morbid kind of, uh, neg- like, cynical, negative guy. Just like specifically that song, or well, it's just like they're just the stuff in general. Whereas, like you know, when they're, I mean, I know this is a joke when they're like, you know, explain the motive, like where did the idea came come for coming up with a musical, and he's like pain, and then like uh-huh. it's like several times his brothers are cutting him off about like dwelling on some kind of negative aspect of creativity, and yeah, like it just feels like that that's the tone, like that Joss has got this uh, storm cloud over his head that everybody else is trying to chase away. Uh-huh. But again, I don't know why I think that's an accurate depiction of him. It could right. just be a funny way to view this particular work, that this guy's got this bright and sunny musical where a girl gets murdered and secretly he's just like just really depressed, cynical, cynical character. Yeah, I mean, he's probably playing a character as much as Nathan Fillion or NPH yeah. or Felicia Day. Yeah. Uh, I also thought so. Is it more? Is Jed's wife Maureen? She's Maurice. The, Maurice. Yeah. Maurice. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was this. Maurice is like a, a a dude's name. Yeah, it sounds like a really old dude's name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like he he was uh, he was in the original Marissa. Maurice. Okay, that's better. Ma- Maurice. Maurice was, was part of the first Hollywood writer strike in the 1930s. Right. <laughs> Marissa's holding it down. Yeah. Yeah. In the in the 2007s. <laughs> Yeah, he he walked off the set of Gone at the Wind and said, <laughs> right. "I'm not working for a plug nickel no more. Never again. I want health insurance and and someone to pay for my false teeth." And that was it. Um So she's she's bemoaning she's bemoaning and I say bemoaning that actually is a bad because that seems like I don't agree with her, but she says she's she's talking about the plight of Asians in cinema that they're yep. like um if you think about it, that they have very limited roles, like maybe more mm-hmm. so than any other uh, ethnic subtype in America, mm-hmm. um, that they, they they just have this lane and almost no one ever gets them out of it. And at one point, Nathan Fillion's like, well, why didn't you cast yourself as Penny? Mm-hmm. And she goes on and talks about this, like, well, that's just never. Ha-. But I'm like, that's kind of a really good question. Why didn't you cast yourself as Penny? You're a good singer. You wrote all the music. You wrote all the numbers. Mm-hmm. You are tr- conventionally attractive. Uh, in that kind of same nerdy lane that Felicia Day is, why mm-hmm. didn't she cast herself as that? It's a good it's question. It's a fucking well. It's, it's they just did it for fun to release on the internet and and you know as, eventually essentially pass the time while the writer strike was happening. I, I felt like the yeah, song I mean, really didn't answer that. Yeah, that's fair. I, I've I've read. I guess I've read one other account that suggested it might have been more than that. That it was about like proving that you could do something outside of the the typical studio um pipeline i guess yeah um and that it would be a big success and mm-hmm. and in that case i guess you don't cast someone that people aren't familiar with you go and you cast like the hottest nerd around and i don't mean hot like physically i mean hot like yeah. career wise right like she's every, blowing like, up like you if know? you're trying to sell something as a web series and you have this actor who is the writer director star of a smash hit web series, The Guild, right. then there you go. And everybody for years has been raving about her. Right. You know? And you get you get Doogie Hauser and the Nazi from Starship Troopers. <laughs> right. And you put him as Doctor Horrible and then you cap you, you cast the star of Firefly. And yeah, I guess it's yeah. but yeah, no, that's that's actually an unassailable argument. I still think like you had 
It, but isn't that kind of weird that <laughs> she was the one that had the creative control and she made the decision to cast the conventionally attractive uh, white girl? Yeah, no, it's interesting because like because it, you don't want to take too big of a risk if we're trying to we're trying to prove the point that you could be successful right. outside the mainstream. So let's not cast the pretty yeah. Asian girl who can sing. No, what it's it's fuck? super weird. It's it's like you know casting Scarlett Johansson as the Ghost in the Shell lead, right? Like, right. Uh, well, it's she's super marketable. Okay, mm. well, is that true to what you're doing here? You know, is that is that telling your story? Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I I do find you know this is self-evidently true if you watch movies Mm -hmm. like how many times have you seen people on the screen who are supposed to be asian that are like latino or indian or some other nationality right and and they're made up to look like they're asian or something Mm -hmm. like it's so ridiculous Mm -hmm. i mean it doesn't happen nowadays but what you still see is i look at like big trouble in little china i think that oh yeah the worst examples of all time yeah i mean i think the 80s might be like peak because because you had the short circuit the johnny five indian guy who's just just a straight up white guy and i yeah it's a guy from hackers yeah until until kumail uh nanjiani was talking about that in harmontown i had no idea (laughs) right and i i've recently down i recently got uh uh short circuit because i wanted to show jack Uh uh-huh um and oh my god oh my god it's amazing um but yeah, there was a lot of like now so we don't see much of that nowadays, although Scarlett right. Johansson Ghost and Shell is a certainly a potential type of that, or you've got mm-hmm. um uh y- you know, uh, uh Matt Damon and the Great Wall of China thing. <laughs> right. And, and then yeah, a lot of people Tom like, well, Cruise is no, the last samurai. Yeah, so like, there's a lot of people, well, there's a, that's part of the plot. It's like, okay, but that doesn't address the main argument. That's that's right. the whole what the whole cultural appropriation idea is all about. Yeah. But you get a lot, I guess, more tokenism where, you know, right. you got a mysterious businessman cast to get Ken, Ken Watanabe in there mm-hmm. because that seems like something he would do. Yeah. Or we need a, a physician at a hospital. It's, oh, Asians, they're, they're good at that. Or, you know, the, this, the I mean, that's literally the song. She goes through all the different roles that are cast as Asians. Yeah, no, and it... It only works for me because everybody is so self-aware about what they're writing because mm-hmm. this has the potential to be super offensive. Right. Um, and it's comedy. It's satire, right? So it's not supposed to be taken seriously. Um, yeah. When they do the keyboards with this stereotypically traditional Chinese, I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Right. And she's she, for comedic effect, uh, gets her R's and L's confused. Um, yeah. But, but she, she's easily the best singer in the the whole cast and crew hmm in my opinion even better hmm i think she's better than mph yeah. wow huh okay i didn't i wasn't when i was listening to the commentary is the first time i'd heard it so i wasn't concentrating uh, on performances i was just like kind of like trying to figure out the lyrics and and what they're actually talking talking about my other favorite song on the commentary uh commentary of the musical is steve's song at the very end it's after the reprise of commentary mm-hmm. uh and this again only works because everybody's on board with it, including Steve. Mm-hmm. But the, it's essentially a song that is a long string of S's that this guy who can't say S's properly or has a horrible lisp mm-hmm. is forced to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, at one point they have him doing Susu Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was hilarious, and kudos to him for being on board because he could be shy about that, but he's not. It seems like everybody, ever. I don't know how good of friends these guys were out of real life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem like that everybody was on board with making fun of everything about everybody. Yeah. Um, and like poking fun of everybody's issues and stuff, and like that, I feel like that's something you could do if you're if you're close friends. But that's like, like what... Nathan Fillion making fun of how good looking and charming he is, right? Yeah, real tough. real tough. Nathan In fact, Fillion. apparently he's got a mean seven layer bean dip, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, but also like I guess like because Felicia Day was playing up the fact that I don't know, like I guess she came. I, I, did she have a rep for being pretentious? Because I felt like that's the role she was mm. playing as like a pretentious actress trying to take herself seriously. Yeah. But yeah. also fangirling about NPH and uh, Nathan Fillion. I, I thought it was the opposite. Like the perception of her was that she was just this fangirl um, and uh, that she wanted to be more than that. But she was having such a hard time in the face so of Nathan Fillion. So she was saying, I, I don't talk about my process just because she, if she if she did, she would just talk about how she was staring into their dreamy eyes. And, right. Yeah. I think so. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure, quite I wasn't sure about sure that either, joke. But, but that's the thing. Like I, they're all playing very exaggerated versions of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good for you. Good for you, Steve. Uh, the one song that I absolutely hated was uh-huh. Zach's flavor. That rap song, I thought it was cringe. A little cringy, and also super like super cringy. I, I mean, what's the joke there? That he is the younger brother, and he thinks all this stuff is lame. And he's too cool for school, but he's secretly not. I guess. I guess he's the cool one. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't like the song. I mean, terrible. it was. I, you say it's terrible. It wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Like Neil Patrick Harris, <laughs> when he tried to rap, that was uh, that, intentionally bad. That was intentionally bad. Yeah. But um, like I felt like it was well written, and his flow wasn't terrible. It's just like the premise of it is like that he's just he's just so edgy, hmm. so edgy. He cuts himself. Yeah. On his own on his own edge. I I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Especially, like, because there's other joke is, like, I guess his brother's coming in, like, weren't you in this production? Weren't you in that production? So it's like, wait a second. If you actually have a uh, a background in theater, then what the hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you're trying to you're trying to act like this stuff is lame? They yeah. get it. And, and there's hints in there that he actually doesn't think it's that lame. Right. I think it's cool. And he's right. like, oh, whatever. Right, right, right. And then um, $10 Solo, I thought, was pretty good until NPH jumped in, and then it became really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where he's, you know, paying Joss more, and then, oh, Suck shit, Joss wrote us a bucks. duet. And, yeah. Like, uh-huh. We both got screwed, that sort of thing. Right, right. Did Joss you actually, is the real winner. Uh, did you synchronize this up with the actual thing? Because I... I did, but I, I don't thought, know how closely it tracked. Okay, because I, I didn't. I was listening to uh, it out okay. of... Because uh, I'd watched the whole thing a bunch, and... Um, I, it occurred to me when Felicia Day started talking about, she was singing about like, oh, this is the time we were in the uh, alley. Mm-hmm. They actually, and we ate Chinese food that wasn't from Chinatown, even though we were filming in Chinatown. Which like that's that this, that seems like a very Hollywood thing to do. Yeah. Um, I it, it occurred to me like, oh, this actually, there some of this stuff matches up with the stuff that's going on in the background. It does, yeah. Um, like when they do the "Nobody Wants to Be Moist" song, that's that's when, when the Big Bang the, guy's yeah, on yeah. the screen. Yeah, uh, yeah, roughly it does. Now, was that true that they the the moist the because that's the other thing I guess I didn't understand is like when he came in and did that song, did he actually have a song that they cut? Oh, I don't know because maybe I thoughts like because because i was with him when they're talking about a cut song i'm like why would it be cut like unless it just sucked yeah like and then he made the point it's like yeah i guess it didn't have time for your internet time slot and i'm like okay well maybe it's just a joke 
Uh-huh. Maybe it's just a joke. They need a commentary commentary to explain the stuff that's like real and the stuff that's 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 make believe. Yeah, it was hard to pull like what would be sincere and what wasn't out of that. Yeah, I'm I think I, like like I do feel like that they sincerely believe that uh, the, the 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 tokenism with Asian Americans is bullshit and that the writer sure. strike was ultimately uh, misguided and maybe not successful and Joss does have some misgivings about his creative process and how the fans interact with it. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff is all but everything about, you know, that you know, Neil and uh Nate are are not are, right. are like had this rivalry and that uh, Felicia Day's got her head up her ass and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how much Joss being the morose one was a joke and how much of it was actual, you know, based in fact. But I, it's like I said, it's it's an interesting way to do this kind of thing. It is, yeah. And entertaining. Uh, the last thing that we, I want to talk about is the writer's strike itself. Okay. And how Joss seems like he has a pretty pessimistic view of that. Um, and I kind of, I mean, I, I guess I I follow that pretty, pretty, um, pretty contemporaneously because it was a big bugaboo with, like, the, guy, the podcast I listened to, Bill Simmons. Hmm. Um, he was uh, – he's, he's a member of the Screenwriters Guild of America and because uh, he, did, he did writing for Jimmy Kimmel, and he's a writer himself. And he had a lot of friends um, that were – are in writing room, and, and he was, like, constantly having them in every week and giving them updates and stuff. And also – he is he's also really big in like anytime there's a sports strike it's like he's personally interested in anytime where you've got talent um that's you know like he, he likes to frame it as like anytime you've got millionaires against billionaires is kind of interesting <laughs> and the writers guild is not even that you've got like thousandaires like something yeah. like the very top and that's the other thing is like like the sports league peyton manning and tom brady striking is very different than the third string safety on you know an unsuccessful nfl franchise yeah and that it seems like that striking is this very altruistic thing because most of the people who are not mega famous are going to lose more money by not working during the strike than they'll ever earn back in their lifetimes with the sweeter deal that they're negotiating Hmm. they're essentially laying down their financial security or or their their earning power so that future generations can benefit in the long run sure okay but that sucks because you've essentially because like what what they what hollywood did as a response is you know what we're just going to cram reality television down americans throat and we bet they love it and they did yeah they did some of them did <laughs> well right i mean but i mean like it's not like televisions were just blank it wasn't no like, tons tons of people watched reality. yeah so it's like Anytime the big guy and 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 also like, I guess it was interesting ten years ago because Hollywood is like you know this streaming thing is going to be such a flash in the pan and who knows how you can assign a value to it and you know do you guys really want to fu- and in this yeah. last ten years the biggest thing in all of Hollywood is probably streaming yeah it's had the biggest Absolutely. impact and, and it's they, obviously going to be and, bigger in the future and and these insiders had to know that and mm-hmm. it just seems like really immoral to try to screw these people out of those profits and make them strike in the first place yeah um, we almost had another Writers Guild strike uh, this year we actually had a Empire Business that we had recorded where we we're going to talk about how we dealt with it because that could really you know that really disrupts scripted television when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wasn't following the issue quite as close this time because it actually didn't happen. So I don't know what the issues were and what the writers guild won from the threats and all that, but it just seems like every time there's a strike, 
uh, the people that lose are the fans and the working stiffs because the people who are making films and television and producing that stuff are already rich and have a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get paid for six months or so, who cares? Does take a vacation to Belize yeah. or something. Or they'll yeah. run, you know, Big Brother Island, the third celebrity edition. Oh, I think you meant like the rich people who get rich writing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's those, the other thing is like Joss Whedon takes $200,000 of his own money and makes Dr. Right. Horrible sing-along blog, which he quote as quoted as saying that he made more with Dr. Horrible than he did for directing the Avengers. Sure. I buy it. So, I mean, that's a sucky situation. That's yeah. a sucky situation. It's it's almost like uh, like a soldier dying to preserve the f- idea of freedom back at home. Like, yeah. Thanks for I doing mean, that, guy. We'll build a statue for it to you. Totally, that sucks. On the other hand, you know, kudos to Joss Whedon for taking a, a what could have been a net negative for himself and turning it into a positive. Yeah, like, he he turned that into an opportunity, right? Yeah, I, I didn't That's want to make it seem like I didn't like because like I feel like you know you take you spend your own money however you want, and if you're a creative person, um, I understand that that's not exactly something you can just opt out of doing. Yeah. Um, and the, the idea that you could try to do something completely out of the system and have complete creative control would be exciting for him. So I didn't mean it to come as a shot against Joss. It's just yeah. I can see him being kind of morose about that subject because it's one thing that they're they're essentially forced to do it because of these one sided deals that weren't taking account of any changes in technology. But right, you know, the vast majority just lost a half years of pay or more yeah no he was a lucky one right Right. he had already built up enough of a career and was highly paid enough to where the strike wasn't going to kill him and you think about it's not even just a writers right it's Mm -hmm. like think of all the grips the photographers the makeup people the set designers the costumers those people are sitting there idle too because they're not needed uh, Mm -hmm. and they have to kind of show solidarity um and there wasn't I, i don't think there was a lot of solidarity it seems like there was a lot of uh, you know, people grumbling, complaining about like, you know, you guys are holding out for these percentages and you're like really fucking us really hard. Yeah. Um, oh, and you're destroying heroes. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of like the reason that the first season of Breaking Bad is half as long as the others is because it's the writer's strike. Yeah. <sighs> but that is kind of uh, modern society in a microcosm, right? Like if you don't, if you already have money. Life is awesome. Yep. If you don't have money and you're trying to get money, life is very hard. It's it's yep. you are you are you are ice skating uphill. That's how it goes. And it's the, the way our society's set up. Yep. And what do you what do you do to fix it? I say we turn it all over to Doctor Horrible. All right. Cool. And uh, he can't. He literally can't be, do worse. Can he freeze me for like two hundred years? I'd like <laughs> to see what the future's like. Yeah, he could stop your world. All right, cool. So you can see what it's uh, the 2020, 2020s are all about? Yeah, 2200s. Mm, 2200s. Yeah. I'll see what the 2020s are all about, I hope. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I fucked that up like I do. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to talk about, Dr. Horrible? Nope, I think Dr. that's Dr. Horrible-ish. All right, thanks again, Tyler, for commissioning this podcast. It was a lot. I haven't seen this in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was interesting because I've seen – how little these all of these people have all aged. Like I just saw Felicia Day and, yeah, and visually, like, sure. she does not look appreciably older. Neil Patrick Harris still looks like Neil Patrick Harris. I haven't seen yeah. Nathan Fillion in a while. But what shocked mm. me is how kind of old Nathan Fillion looked in this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess he was born in seventy one, which yeah. would make him forty five. At 
Yeah, forty five. Because I'm I was born in seventy six, and I was I'm for I'm forty for another month or two. Yeah. Um. So like thirty five, thirty six in this. Yeah. I feel like the Nathan Fillion might have like popped out of the womb at thirty five, and he'll just yeah. he'll just uh, stay there until he's sixty five. Yeah. Until then... he's sixty five, and then then God knows what will happen. Then <laughs> the spell will be, the spell will be revoked, broken. and yeah. Uh, all right, that's it for Dr. Horrible. Thanks again, Tyler. Uh, the next one, I believe, is Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. Oh, boy. Top top 10 favorite movie for me. I've watched it mm. 12 to 20 times. Very excited. I have a lot, a lot to say. It was a community commission. I know that. So there's uh, uh, there'll, there'll be a lot of uh, other opinions and insights. But I'll be damned if you have an original thought that I haven't already come up with because I'm a huge fan. So yep. you got that. You got that coming out And I've of the never pipe. seen it, so it should be an interesting really? cast. Really? I thought you saw it once. I don't think so. Okay. Are we going to watch this one together? We can, can. we Can we watch it together? Yeah. I promise I, have I a won't feeling. stare at you the whole time. <laughs> I will just, I just be there to provide. I have a feeling that you're going to be like huh? in the background like putting in appropriately dramatic music, hoping I'll like trying nope. to pump me up. Nope. It doesn't need it. It doesn't need it. <laughs> it doesn't I'm going to okay. sit on my hands and not react and just <laughs> if you have questions, if you'd like to know more – uh i'll i'll be I'll, okay. I'll, I'll be there so but I'll, uh, I'll be saving those for the podcast gotcha all right we will be back uh with master commander at some time in the future please and i hope you enjoyed this dr one, horrible maybe. i'm yeah. just i i've fucked up the outro we're, we're out we're out we'll see you later